I'm Maureen Bellatori, and this is Spilled Salt, a podcast on the thrills and spills from the food, beverage, and agriculture industries. Today's guest is Tim McDowell. He's the COO of Bristol Extracts, uh, which is a New York State licensed cannabis processor and cultivator. Um, our discussion today is about what brought Tim to enter the New York State cannabis market and some of what he's gone through as that industry has grown and developed over the last handful of years, um, and a little bit about what it takes to run a cannabis business too. Enjoy the conversation. Thanks for joining. Um, I'm gonna jump right into our content because half an hour-ish isn't really long enough to cover all of the many aspects of cannabis, so we're just gonna scratch the surface on a few things, but I'd love for you to start by, I know you as a cannabis guy, I'd love for you to start talking a little bit about your background in cannabis and why you relocated to New York. Yeah, it's, um, I could take the whole half hour, I guess, in this answer, but, uh, <laughs> um, so 2009, I was living in uh, Boulder, Colorado. I actually lived there from, for 22 years in the Denver, Boulder area. Um, I met a group who uh, was entering into the cannabis industry then uh, because the, 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 there was the Department of Justice Ogden memo that was passed and it kind of opened, you know, popped the lid off of cannabis. It's really what was the catalyst of starting all this. And so Colorado is similar to where New York was a year ago where there were a lot of um what we call sticker shops here in new york but mm -hmm. you know gray market sales and so um 2000 really january 2010 we started selling products drinks really um and uh, you know the company that i was working for at the time they had a dispensary and then colorado nestled um their uh cannabis industry under the department of revenue along with gaming and liquor control so they actually copied and pasted a lot of the gaming rules to help create the background checks and whatnot and they really were aggressive in getting uh, licensing going and so i think it was summer of 2010 uh house bill 1284 passed in colorado and um license started licensing businesses and that's when you started getting you know background checks you'd have a badge um and so you know it was medical marijuana uh and there were stores, stores, um, we were what referred to as a MIP, manufactured infused products. So uh, making edibles, um, various form factors. And so that was early on. I mean, that's uh, uh, 14 some years ago. And so um, we so grew before that. before you bit. move on to like how that, yeah, yeah. how that, you know, continued, what made you want to go into that? Like, what were you doing before and what made you yeah, want to yeah. follow that? Good. That's a great question. So um, my passions were uh, skiing, snowboarding. And so, <laughs> but I had gone to culinary school. I was a chef. I worked in restaurants to afford the, you know, the lifestyle that would get me on the, the snow as much as possible. Um, and, you know, my last chef gig was in uh, Tahoe and I was, uh, you know, I ran a catering company and a bistro on the lake. And then uh, we had a little shack up at one of the ski resorts. And, it, you know, it's classic chef things go that just killed me, burned me out. I'm totally I'm 27 or 28, but I had worked in kitchens since I was 14. Um, and I really, at that point, uh, just said I had enough and drove from Tahoe to Providence, Rhode Island, finished a degree, got a bachelor's degree when I was 30, um, met my now wife and uh, moved back to Colorado. I had been in Colorado for uh, eight years before Tahoe, but, um, and then we had arrived back there during the uh, Great Recession, 
Um, mm. I was, you know, I was working for corporate Whole Foods and uh, my first non-chef job, office job, I was doing the vendor um, evaluations for uh, some of the quality control programs that Whole Foods had in place. Um, great job, you know, dream job at the time for me. I'm like, wow, I'm not scrub lowers and working 17 hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are going to pay me for this? Um, and then a friend was like, hey, oh, these guys, they're doing this thing. It's exciting. Uh, you know, uh, we can only pay you $13 an hour. And I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> uh, you know, to the chagrin of my family. And so, um, and then it was just there. It was this crazy, intoxicating world of entrepreneurship and um, just grinding and kind of being on the, the cutting edge. But really a step up and we had a good team at the time, but, um, you know, my background of really going through, I had gone through a Marriott corporate training and then the Whole Foods corporate training. And then, um, you know, all the, the, the kitchen work, we entered it with like this level of quality control and systems in place to have consistent product out the gate. And mm -hmm. that was like a huge leg up in 2010, 11, you know, people were bringing in like trays of brownies, and we had bottled 12 ounce drinks with labels and cases that were branded, you know, um, and it, it wasn't all, you know, it was a lot of bumpy road, but so that grew. And then 2014 Colorado, uh, legalized marijuana. So adult use recreational is what they called it then. And so that just blew the lid off of things. Um, and then, you know, we transferred, we still have a business, but the recreationals, um, you know, it's just crazy busy. Um, so we learned some, some tough lessons of scaling at that point. During that same time, we um, started a consulting company because all these other states, the momentum had started then, really 2014, 15, 16, 17. Uh, all these states are doing certain medical marijuana licensing programs, competitive licensing. Uh, so we had a small team. We created this consulting business to take our hard lessons and help people license. And we were very successful at it. Um, we had, you know, part of larger teams, but during that time, we expanded our brand into the Nevada market, into the Illinois market around 2015. And then we're managing these three uh, locations, um, partners, and which you're seeing in New York a lot now. And it's a difficult thing to do because the margins are so small on this to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, so then, you know, that's cruise that's chugging along. Uh, a lot of hard lessons in Nevada and Illinois, you know, varying levels of success of kind of getting, you know, your toes over the edge of the board, you know, like biting off more than you can chew. Um, and let's see here. Um, so that's the teams really, you know, we went through two IRS audits, two ADE audits, which, you know, there are unique to cannabis at the drug trafficking audit, um, uh, cause we can only write off cost of goods sold. So there's mm. no, you can't write off any, anything other than the direct cost of goods sold. And so you're, you know, so that, those are expensive. Right. Lessons. So everything is accounted for all the way through and there's nothing that could go missing. Right. Yes. And, you know, we, you know, as a business, this is all probably a whole other podcast, but like, you know, there's no management, you know, isn't labor, uh, marketing isn't any, you know, mm. your lawyers, your accountants, you, you can't write anything of that off. There's more that I've, probably don't even know that they, our accountants know. Hmm. Um, so a decade ago, getting that audit was a, uh, <laughs> an expensive uh, crash course in accounting. Um, so anyway, we've been to, you know, DEA engagements, like a lot of crazy stuff through the teens, you know? Um, mm -hmm. 
then 2020 hits, COVID hits, um, the uh, uh, marijuana sales in Colorado, still in Colorado at this point in Denver, they, you know, deemed a, 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 an essential business. People are getting PPP, you know, free money. Uh, cannabis sales skyrocket, right? Um, but for various reasons, a lot of them personal, some of them business, you know, that was at that point, 11 years into the same business, the same family team, essentially, we're a small, smallish business. Um, I, I just pulled the plug similar to what I did when I was living in Tahoe. It's like, I need to switch it up. I had a kid, uh, you know, it's three COVID's happening. We're as busy as we've, we've ever been during mm -hmm. all this madness. Um, and I exited both businesses and it was a, in hindsight, like the timing was excellent, which we can get into why mm -hmm. that is yeah. later on in this. But at the time it was like a very hard decision. People were really like, what are you doing? You're leaving at the peak of this. Um, and I think, you know, there's, I would have liked to just keep riding out. They're still doing it with the brand and the business and, and I wish them the best. And um, but anyway, through recruiter, I met Bristol extracts. Bristol Extracts, uh, who I work for now, C COO, uh, hemp business, licensed hemp cultivator and processor in New York State. Uh, they were doing toll processing. They were hit hard with the timing of COVID and launching their business and the crash of the CBD market. And so they brought myself and uh, a woman from uh, Oakland, who's actually from Binghamton, New York, Corinne Devine. Um, they brought us on at the same time to help them develop end products, consumer packaged goods, tinctures, uh, uh, lotions and um, powders and whatnot through for hemp CBD. And so there goes my hair pod. Um, <laughs> nice catch. And, yeah, thanks. And then um, so that so now we're at 2021. And so there I am in New York. And so, you know, put my family on a plane. I'd never been here. I'd been here for about 20 hours to see the place and fly back. And uh, we haven't really looked back. And so then, you know, 2022, we started growing cannabis, adult use cannabis, got the conditional licensing for processing and cultivation. And then March 3rd of 2023, we launched three brands into uh, two stores in Manhattan, um, adult use cannabis. And now we have those three brands in nine of the 11 or 12 stores that are in New York. Um, that's, that's great. A, yeah. yeah. And, you know, uh, kudos to your wife who courageously, you know, <laughs> dropped everything and your son and followed you here sight unseen. And I mean, that it was a real risk leap, right? I mean, you kind of, I think one of the things that I find in talking to anyone with an entrepreneurial mind is you kind of have to see the future a little bit. Like you saw down the runway, right? That these are the things that are happening as did Bristol Extracts to bring you and Corinne on to fill these crucial roles that they knew they, they were going to need for the success of the company. Yeah. I mean, at the time, as I remember it, um, and, you know, hindsight's a 20, that I had two, two major factors that I was making these decisions on because I had a couple offers. Uh, one, my family, I grew up in central Pennsylvania. I'm now three hours north of my family. I moved to Boulder. I turned 18. I was gone. You know, mm -hmm. I went to paradise. I went to Boulder, Colorado. And uh, and so as my parents get older, as my kid gets older, I was like, I want to be closer to family. Uh, my wife is from, Pitts her family's in Pittsburgh. Uh, who would have ever thought we'd leave Colorado to come back east? Never, never, ever would have thought that. Um, 
and then wanted to leverage my cannabis experience into new markets. You know, mm-hmm. I was a little maybe less valuable on the West Coast, California, Oregon, Washington, all these places that we would have loved to live. Um, you know, almost went to Missouri, almost went to Michigan, um, and coming to a hemp company in New York State, which my you know my people in my network in Colorado cannabis were like, you're what are you doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're to Ro- yeah. Roge- Rochester hemp, you're in Denver cannabis, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, and that's not, there's st- some of them, you know, they're, they're still thriving in, the, in that world. Um, I mean, Colorado's taken a huge hit in the last 12 months in that industry as cannabis in general has. Mm-hmm. Um, but living here uh, and just being kind of back boots on the ground, you know, um, is, is very exciting, you know, and just being involved in policy and legislative affairs and helping stores open. And, uh, I mean, I'm getting to be an old guy around, you know, in this, you know, it's like find myself in rooms. Where I'm like, oh shit, I'm the, I'm the oldest guy. <laughs> really? <laughs> when did that happen? But cannabis is like, it's a young right. industry, which is it's exciting. So, yeah. um, so yeah, and yeah. you know, and, and Eric, who's the founder and CEO of Bristol to your point, was looking ahead, saying, "Look, if we're we're going to do this, we need to completely pivot and move away from a wholesale toll processing to retail to wholesaling to retail." Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah. Yep. So you mentioned regulations, um, which of course is a huge moving target. And so trying to keep up with the changing regulations in New York is like trying to jump onto a moving freight train, like while you're trying to build the train at the same time. So is that common based on your experience in other states, what the legalization of adult use cannabis has been like in the state of New York? So that's a great question. I mean, and there's a, a lot of a lot of angle to answer that. I'll answer from my from my perspective. And so, right before I got on this Zoom, there right right now there's a the first town hall happening, virtual town hall between licensed cultivators and the Office of Cannabis, Cannabis Management in New York. And it's a, it, I mean, it is like a very tense. It's being done very well through Canny, the Cannabis Association in New York. But there is a lot going on in New York regulations right now because the market is stalled and it's affecting everybody. Um, and anyway, so my, you know, my perspective being in Colorado was, was unique in that it was first right now. California had done its thing and it, but it wasn't at a state level. Um, it was all local and you could have one county and the next county over. So Colorado and Seattle and, and Washington and Seattle had done it around the time, but Colorado was very aggressive in setting up a state agency. And so that, but it was the first. And so that was unique. And then through the consulting company, we were coming in to groups that were funding everything and we were coming in as the consultants. And mm-hmm. so that is, you know, that's, that's a good place to be, <laughs> you know, you know, at, at some point you were talking to groups, you know, in Ohio or Maryland and it's like, this is your life savings. And, you know, after our, us working in seven states, like our free advice is don't do this, you know? Um, so it's a unique perspective coming in there. Uh, I think states have learned over the last decade plus of how to, you would think now I, a whole other podcast on how New York is doing this. New York is unique. Um, as all the states are, there are lessons and, and that are that I have learned that are helping us kind of navigate it. One being that this is a marathon and 
our business strategy for the next 12 to 24 months is not that that's all it's for. We may be a completely different business beyond that because the market is going, it's be two years before the New York market is really churning to like what it is. And will something federally happen in there in that time? I don't think so. We've been saying it for 10 years. Um, but the fact that New York legalized, decriminalized cannabis without any infrastructure for, I don't know, was it two years to get licenses out to create tax dollars, right? Um, so big proponent, don't, no one should ever be locked up for cannabis. So yeah, the faster you can legalize it and stop arresting people, do it today, do it tomorrow. If you are going to try to set up a system to collect taxes and license and a new state agency, doing it after that cat has been out of the bag is a monumental challenge. And so we're in this mix now where, you know, we have a 20,000 square foot facility, we have 30 acres and we have a staff, we have a security company, we have a lot of overhead and the state is not opening a market that we can sell to 12 stores, eight clients. They're great clients. There's great sell through, but that's only so many shelves. Um, meanwhile, there are 2000 stores open in New York that are selling product that is from Oklahoma and California. Um, so it, it, it has its unique challenges. But if we can weather the storm, and a lot of people will not, and that's what's happening right now already, less than a year in, you're going to a large percentage of these companies going out of business. Well, I think that's that's it, right? Is that any, it's a high risk business, it's right? High risk. You mentioned margins are slim to begin with. This is a very capital intensive thing. I mean, even just that list that you rattled off, right? You've got, you're talking about acquire, about pulling in staff, like high yep. level leadership, right. To run these companies, the warehouse, you know, the cost of cultivation security, yeah. I mean, all of packaging, new packaging, cause the regulations changed. All of those things are just ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. Exactly. That you, it yeah. has to be a marathon. You have to prepare for it to be a marathon or yeah. you got the and, wrong and business. It is, it's nearly impossible to right now in New York, because a year ago, uh, you have the governor saying, and, and I don't, I don't like complaining about these things. It doesn't solve things, but when you, you have to have, you're starting a business. You, who's my clientele? What am I selling? What problem am I trying to solve? Totally. Um, right. Like, okay, why are we doing this? All right. Well, there's this market here and this is telling us the governor is saying, we're going to open 20 stores a month from now until they open. Okay. No one asked you to say that you told us that. So let's, let's do it. You know, right. I work um, those numbers into my projections. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, back that out, there should be 150 stores open and there's 12 and right. it, you know, the, there's just an oversupply, the demand there, but people are going, well, I'm going to the corner store and getting it because there's no, no so it's, it's, it's unique. It'll get there. Um, you know, it's, it's going to take time. Will we make it? I, I think, so, but um, it, it, it's a challenge, you know? And so, you know, we have an excise tax on everything that we set to around 17%. It could be 17 to 20%. That's off the top. Right? Mm. So everything gets 
everything gets upcharged, that gets passed down. Sure. Uh, meanwhile, there's a flood of cheap cannabis. Cannabis has been commodities, you know? And so it's, uh, it's a Rubik's cube, but like we get good people in and, you know, we have a great staff. We have local people. We're in a rural area. So, you know, we just all wear a lot of hats. Um, you know, my directly next to me here is a window across the hall. I can get into the manufacturing floor. Um, and I'm just, you're just in it, you know, yeah. after the, after this, I'm going out, uh, cause the tractors lay in the, the plastic mulch for the fields today. Um, and so we'll probably be here until about nine, nine or 10 tonight. Um, but it's exciting. We're, we're going yeah, right. to transplant next week. Yeah. A lot of similarities with many of those things in some of the food brands that we work with, food and beverage brands, like a dairy, right? It's trying to add value added production is very similar, right? They're taking care of the cows, they're birthing calves and they're right. making ice cream. You know, I mean, it's uh, right. this, that's why I love this whole industry is the yeah. scrappiness that comes into the way that you have to go through your day to day is just figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. We, we joke that, uh, we don't have any tanks in the lobby here, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's not, it's, it's, it's not fancy. We do have, you know, quarter million of a dollar, uh, distillation machine that does one thing. Um, and it does well, but these are capital intensive, right. you know, you know, pieces. Um, but it's exciting times. You yeah. Know, it's, there's a lot on the line for everybody. Um, some will make it, some won't, you know, luck, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's all fair, I suppose. Yeah. Know? Right. Right. Um, and that's, you know, that's what you get with a, with a brand new emerging market in a state. There's, it's going to be a lot of changing factors. So let's talk a little bit, let's shift a bit to the economy and kind of New York state in general. I'm a, I'm a big fan of economic development and I think the, you know, the legalization of cannabis in the state of New York is certainly going to have a big impact on the economy as a whole, jobs, agriculture. What are your thoughts about those things? It will. Um, we thought we were going to be ahead of it. You know, I mean, I, we, we need people, even with the 11 stores, I could, I would love to bring on a couple more people right now um to scale it's tough to scale in this environment right so it's either oh hey the state just said that they're going to cut all these uh hoops out of the way and now there are 150 stores you know say july 1st and we're going oh damn <laughs> you know? exactly right you, you, you supply know? chain it gotta takes time to make it sell it transport yeah. it and so you know it's it's setting up our systems you know one of the the that fall down to your systems. You know, you can set goals to raise up to, but if you're, you have to have your systems in place so that, that when you take those hits, you're only falling a step. And it's like, okay, we're back down to our system. Now we can step back up. Um, and so I, you know, my experience in Colorado and, you know, Colorado took a big hit, right? But the record sales were in 2021. They did 2.2 billion in cannabis sales right mm -hmm. that's a population of uh, i don't know five and a half million people of course they get um tourism but uh if you run these numbers i wrote i wrote some of these down like if you if you run those 2.2 billion in sales uh 2021 and 305 million of that was collected by the state in taxes right uh, uh, that's pretty amazing you could yeah. see the tangible results of the tax money over the last decade in colorado you, you could see sidewalks and, and 
uh, rec centers built in small towns. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was like over 41,000 in the 41,000 plant touching jobs created in Colorado. Um, and then three times that in ancillary, right? So people who aren't it's touching, amazing. Like, right? It's I amazing. Mean, when else, when else does something have such a yeah. rolling impact on creating that many lasting jobs totally. at all like H- HVAC, like a friend of a friend who had a, a HVAC company in Colorado, the, the decade of building out warehouse grows for him was a complete life changer. Um, you know, and he's not dealing with any of the crazy cannabis that he is now because of what happened to the market, but, um, it's amazing, right? You know, we have on-site security. These guys are, you know, we're in a rural area anyway, but in 2023, they're estimated to do 1.5 billion in, in sales. So that's a two year drop of $700 million drop. The, the jobs in Colorado have been cut by a third in less than two years. So there's a downturn happening in the cannabis industry a whole as it is commoditized and as mm. it, it's kind of correcting post COVID And New York is launching directly into this. So that dries up a lot of VC and investment money because they're seeing the risks, they're seeing what has happened and they're backing away from New York and saying, well, let's give this two to five years before we come back in. Mm. Um, so, if we, you know, New York, if, if, if you do three and a half times that, that's $7.7 billion a year um, in sales. Uh, there was, I don't know where the number came from, but there was something released last week saying that New York's already doing $15 billion in, you know, illicit sales and cannabis sales. So let's call it 7 to 15. Great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's 105,000 plant touching jobs or 315 ancillary, 400,000 new jobs. For places like where we are south of Rochester, I mean, the fact that we have, you know, a dozen folks working here that all live in the Rochester, Naples area is, it's huge, you know, right. Um, these are, these are 40 hour a week jobs and, and um, we're proud to have them. Uh, so it, it will make a big impact in upstate New York. The city is its own thing that I, right. I'm, not, I'm not even going to speak to because, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's its own thing. There's not going to be grows in New York City. It just doesn't make sense. So right. the, the processing and the, the supply chain will be upstate. The retail behemoth mm-hmm. will be in the city, um, but it will also be upstate. I mean, we're, we're seeing big numbers out of uh, Albany and Binghamton. Um, so it's it, it will be a game changer. For, for these towns when we get there, you know, mm-hmm. it's not have, we all thought it would be like this summer, like, oh, summer of 2023, we'll start taking off. And, and then that's, that's not the case, you know? Um, but, um, so, yeah. So. so you keep mentioning this kind of the shift in the market. And of course, cannabis is still federally illegal. So, Originally, I was going to ask, you know, about how do you do business in such a sensitive landscape, but I'd love for you to add to that also kind of the unpredictability of the market that you keep referencing and kind of, again, running a business that is sensitive in many ways. Yeah. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Um, so the federal side of it, it's it's real. You know, the banking part of it is it's a stress that's there. It hasn't been an issue really like having a bank account, running, running cash, your bank account, paying your bills, your bank account. 
that's really not an issue at this point. Banks are allowed to do this federally with cannabis businesses. It's okay. just a kind of it's kind of a pain in the butt for them because they have to fill our report for every transaction, a suspicious activity report for every transaction. There's no minimum. You can put a dollar in. They, it, so it's more paperwork for them. Most banks are like, just tell me what you're doing and we'll, but we cannot get institute loans. So we can't get just a, mm. a, a normal business. You know, we can show, hey, we're, we're doing 5 million a year and we would like to expand the bank or something. And you just can't get, basic stuff. You have to go to high risk, high interest, private equity, which isn't even really there right now for mm -hmm. Um It's not there. It was there three years ago. Um, but this downturn in what's happening in, in national cannabis in the US is it's a downturn, you know, prices, prices are a fraction of what they were wholesale. Uh, years ago. And it's a trap that some of these cultivators that I have met in New York thought that they were going to create generational wealth. Now there was a story kind of sold. Hey, we're going to have 20 stores open, you know, all this. That alone, they could still have 150 stores open, but you're growing a crop. It's no longer this valued product of what it was. It's not illicit anymore. So you lose inherent value to it. Now there's craft cannabis and there's amazing products people are making art artists and that people are making out of it and that has a lot of value um but as a whole i mean you're selling pounds of the best weed ever for five six hundred dollars where years a couple years ago you were fetching two to you know two plus thousand four thousand i don't even know like across the gamut it's a fraction of that so you see these big warehouses out west in California, in Colorado, in, even in New Mexico, closing down. They built 200,000 square feet, very expensive to run, did their ROI on this $2,000 a pound. Two years later, it's $500 a pound. It's costing them $500 a pound to grow it. They're shutting them down. Um, right. And that is happening right now, right? And so it's, it's, it's kind of a wave that's come across the west because California has never been it's always been the engine of cannabis and the engine of cannabis culture. It has supplied New York cannabis for a generation. Um, and it, it is a, a, what do they call it? Like a, it's a before and after event happening there of farms closing down. What will the future look like once New York demand kind of lessens for what that, what they need over there coming in from the state. Um, and I, I don't, none of this is happening immediately, but it's all happening now. And so, right. You're building brands, so you get into more of a consumer package good. At least that's, I don't know if I'm right, but that's how we look at it. We're building brands. What's the value? What's the community that we're creating around what we do? What can we provide to people that they're having a great product with a gummy? There's 50 gummy SKUs in New York already. Why is yours different? It totally. really isn't all that different. You know? Right, right. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's it, a lot of people make a lot of good gummies. We make a great gummy. I think we make the best gummy in New York, but there's a lot of other great gummies, great packaging. Yeah. Um, so your relationships with your, with your vendors, your vendors, how are you supporting them? How are you creating community? Um, how are you giving back to the community? Mm -hmm. and these are all, these are all labor and capital intensive ways to build a brand right and you know and then also having to build it within a um within one state and not being able to scale outside and create revenue you're in this bubble 
And so you have to acknowledge that. And, you know, it's, there's the piece of, there's the pie of cannabis sales and you can get that data now. What's selling? What excuse them? What flavor of gummies really sell? Um, who's buying cannabis? There's a ton of data out. Um, you know, it, it comes down to manufacturing and how lean, how lean can you manufacture? Yeah. Um, that's one part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're lucky to have that data too, because there's some more established industries in New York too, that just have been around for so long that they really haven't been collecting data like the wineries. You'd be amazed at how little information is out there in terms of what's being produced. So that's one nice thing about a new market that's emerging now. At least it does have sophistication, right? From that perspective, in terms of being aware of things like that. But you're absolutely right. It is going to come down to brand and it's going to be very, very difficult. And you're right. Luck is going to play a role in some of that too, in terms of how you're able to gain traction because a gummy is a gummy is a gummy. It, it is. You know, it, and we, we cut corners with our packaging. Our packaging is good. You know, we, we did these, um, I don't have any here. We did uh, just in Mylar bags. They don't present the best, you know, like on, you know, people are shopping from their phones. Um, we're upgrading everything over the summer. It was the quickest, you know, you can get those in 14 businesses. And so getting to the shelf was like, all right, what's the priority? Is it this nice, you know, container? Sure. But we want the shelf space. And if we can cut for weeks off, let's grab the shelf space. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. those, those decisions, you don't know, right. And once again, 2020 in a year, we go back and go, Shit, we should have, we should have given it that weeks and done the better one. Or, you know, thankfully right now we're like, thankfully we got the market and started right. creating rela relationships. Um, you know, and I think you need, I know I'm over on time, but the unique thing that, that we did with Bristol was that we targeted very specific demographics. Right. And so the one brand that we started is called Senior Moment. And it's a senior focused cannabis brand. Um, and the feedback on it has been incredible. And it's it's so like the, the culture and the community around it is such a different conversation than these other cannabis scents, um, where it's kind of a voice that they're like of, of people that are like, yes. Like now someone's listening to us. Yeah. Cause they say, this um, is, this is for me. This, they, this was created yeah. with me in mind. And that's really what a lot of, it's an excellent way and strategy to connect with your consumer in all things, especially CPG is this is for me. I read this. I see this. I smell this. I touch this, whatever it is. I know that this is made for me. And so to even just call it senior moments says, right, is going to help right. a new to the market consumer that is senior, right? Maybe it's going to push them into your product as opposed to somebody else's. And when you're building a new brand and what is going to be continue to be highly competitive market, it's little wins like that, that make, that are yeah. really going to help. And it's edu edu in cannabis in general, education is marketing marketing is education and so there is a heavy lift a heavier lift of spend to get maybe to get some of these older people or people who aren't using cannabis mm -hmm. to to come in there is a, a segment of cannabis users that are buying every day and they know what they want they want this you know it's a very specific it's the most competitive they you know mm -hmm. since they are that wedge 
there are a hundred brands going after them, right? And it's a dog fight and it's, you know, and we have a brand that's, that's in that, it's called Snobby Dankins. Um, and it's, you know, it's a fun brand. And, and the goal with that is to work directly with all farms and they do small crop strain specific. We do concentrates, co-branded, limited drops. Um, we haven't executed it on, on that yet. We hopefully if it opens up, you know, um, yeah, it's, it, it's exciting here. I'd love to, uh, you should do a, a podcast down from the field in uh, September when the plan. Yeah, that sounds great. And I'm tall. sure there will be a lot changed in the, in the industry by then. So it'd be great to do an update at that point of what does the landscape look like in September? How many more dispensaries opened and what has changed in the landscape? So count on it. I'll put it on my calendar sometime in September. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Tim. This was wildly fascinating. I think it's, it's really not that I didn't already know of the challenges in the industry as a whole, but it kind of really exposed some more things for me, especially about the, I always knew it was capital intensive, but to hear too about even just the way that you're able to run your books and how different that has to be just exposed a whole new layer of challenges. So I appreciate you sharing all that. Yeah, of course. It's always great to talk to you. I always learn, learn from you every time that we speak. And so um, I appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks for that. All right. Well, stay tuned for version two of, of this one. <laughs> thanks, Tim. More, more to come. All right. Yes. Yeah, sounds great. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Spilled Salt. I'm Maureen Balatori. For more information about the podcast, visit www.29designstudio.com. If you have questions for me, you can submit them through the contact form on the website. Be sure to like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.